Numbers chapter 32, verses 1 through 5. Now the children of Reuben and the children of Gad had a very great multitude of livestock. And when they saw the land of Jazar and the land of Gilead, that indeed the region was a place of livestock. The children of Gad and the children of Reuben came and spoke to Moses, to Eleazar the priest, and to the leaders of the congregation, saying, and you'll notice these, these people's names here that are the leaders and saying to these, these, these places, these things that which God defended or defeated before the congregation of Israel is a land of, for livestock, and your servants have livestock. Therefore they said, if we have found favor in your sight, let this land be given to your servants as possession. Do not take us over the Jordan. So these first five verses, we see um, these, this, the countryside that God had used his people to, to overcome that was on the east side of the Jordan and, and preparation of crossing the Jordan, going into the promised land. They haven't gone into the promised land. Moses is still alive at this point. God is still using him as a leader, transitioning that leadership over to Joshua and, and such. So we see that God, that all of a sudden, as they're going into this promised land, that Israel took care of the Moabites, took care of the Mennonites, and, and, and they took their eyes and they said, but look at this land that God, this country that God allowed us to take and conquer. This land is just sweet. And we have very large, as the scriptures, very large, uh, a great multitude of livestock, and this place is absolutely perfect from our perspective. <laughs> so it's amazing how quickly as, a, as these followers of God and then they've been in the wilderness, they've raised up here, they see everything that God has done and the, and the whole promise from all, from all the way from Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the way through in the time of 40, 400 years in captivity and then through the wilderness and, and all these ups and downs and, and tossed to and fro and all the things that were going on. All they heard was they're going to the promised land. They're going to the promised land. We're going to the promised land. And just before they go in the promised land, it's almost like, you know, squirrel, you know, promised land. Look at, look at this moment here. Look how green grass. Oh, it's perfect. It's perfect from what I want. I, I can see it now. This is I got livestock. This is a great fertile land for my livestock. This is going to be a great living. This is beautiful. Sounds a lot like Lot. They always want to pick some place that looks so much better, so much, so much, so much easier, so much, so much more fertile and warm, and all these other things that people can get caught up in the sight and not in the will of God. They were following the will of God, but how quickly all of a sudden this appears to be, if you lean on your own understanding, it just appears to be the right thing. And they sure did. They saw the fertile land. They saw they had a great multitude of livestock. And they go on what they see and say, I see fertile land for my livestock. I don't know what's in the promised land. I'm not sure. Even though God said it was going to be great. And it was God given. No, they were going on sight and not by faith. And sure enough, they requested from Moses and Eliezer the priests and the leaders of the congregation. Do you see this country? Do you see this, these lands? See these things? It's, you know, 
this is, we do not want to take us over the Jordan. We're staying on this side of the Jordan. Man, it's amazing. You were just so close. You were almost there. If you just kept taking the steps of faith, God would have provided even for you in this great multitude of livestock you have, he would have provided for you. And then verses 6 and 7, we say, And Moses said to the children of Gad, he gives a little bit of a reaction, and he says to the children of Reuben, Shall your brethren go to war while you sit here? <laughs> it sounds like you're going to sit around and enjoy your little lifestyle and forget what you know, you're supposed to be helping with the conquering of the promised land. Now why will you discourage the heart of the children of Israel from going over into the land which the Lord has given them? See, Moses always had a heart for the whole people and, the, and fulfilling the promises of the will of God. Regardless of how he felt, he's already been told he's going to die. Even though he knows he's going to die, it did not stop him from doing what God had called him to do until his last breath. You don't sit there and do the will of God and follow and, and be obedient to the word of God until your last breath and then the last how many years or two years or months or weeks you just stop doing what God's called you to do? <laughs> That's not God, how God does it. That's not what God's people are supposed to do. You're supposed to go until the death, dying breath. Being in the will of God. And you see this is a perfect godly man. This, this Moses sitting there going, wait a minute. You're just going to sit there and enjoy life now? Now while you are going to discourage the hearts of the children of Israel because it took, it's going to take all of us to be able to conquer all the giants and all the people over here in the promised land and all of you are going to stay here on this other side. Amazing. And that was Moses' biggest fear of the attitude of the tribes of Reuben and Gad is that they would just say, tough luck, you're best, we're staying here. We've fought enough. We've suffered enough. We've done enough work. Let someone else have an opportunity to do it. They'll, they'll, they'll be fine. God's with them. We don't need me. But he had a foundation, right? He had a history. He saw how the hearts of the people can be. They can be very fickle. And complacency is very contagious. Complacency is very contagious. So I need to say it a third time. Because he understood just those two tribes saying, we're just, this is far enough, this is, this is far enough of following God's promise. This is far enough of doing what God's called me to do. This is good enough. I'm ju we're just going to be here. That complacency will cause the rest of the tribes to do what? Get complacent. And probably make a decision like they did before. We know how big those giants are. We're not going. Remember the 10 spies? Going in and Adam said, no, 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 no. That's way too much for us. And the whole generation died because of unbelief. Moses understood that complacency of just sitting back and not doing anything that God's called you to do will cause others to sit back and not do anything as well and follow through and continue to move through. That's why men... You need to make sure you're leading your family and be an example and not be complacent in your walk with the Lord because if you do, your children will become complacent. 
Your family, if you set back other families that have been watching your life, watch you be complacent, they'll start becoming complacent. Leaders of a church, if you become complacent and you're not out there in the monks of them doing what God's called you to do and you just sit back and watch things, just kind of let it roll, everyone will be complacent. And Moses understood that he says, if you do this, this could cause all these people to not move forward with what God called them to do to go into the promised land and could cause them to stay right here. And that would be a detriment because the anger of God will come out again and possibly all of this generation will be wiped out as well. So Moses didn't sugarcoat it. Oh, I'm so glad you see this is a good place for you to be. We're so, we're, we, 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 is this of the Lord? I, I, you know, <laughs> and you get so really complacent. You're, 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 you're not complacent, but more, oh, I don't want to offend anyone. You're just, oh, is this really, okay, this is of the Lord. This is nice. I'm, I'm glad. In your back of your mind, you're going, no, it's not of God. It's not good. It's not right. Moses didn't sugarcoat it here. He said, you guys are causing a, a possible ripple effect across the nation of Israel because you're not following through with God's purpose and reason what we're supposed to be doing. Verses 8 through 15, we see Moses fears following the steps of a previous generation of unbelief. He says, that your fathers did when I sent them away from Kadesh Barnea to see the land. For when they went up to the valley of Ishkol and saw the land, they discouraged the heart of the children of Israel so that they did not go into the land which the Lord had given them. So the Lord's anger was aroused on that day. And he swore an oath saying, surely none of the men who came up from Egypt from 20 years old and above shall see the land of which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, because they have not wholly followed me. That was their problem. They were half-hearted. They were partially following God. They were wholeheartedly following God, except for Jacob and then except for Joshua. They are the only two that were wholly following the Lord. So the Lord's anger was aroused against Israel, and he made them wander in the wilderness for 40 years until all the generation that had done evil in the sight of God was gone. And look at the language. I love this. And look. I love that explanation. And look, boom, got my point. You have risen in your father's place. You know what that's a nice way of saying? You're following in your father's footsteps. You're no different than your father. You're no different than the entire generation that was taken out. You're acting just like them, generation upon generation in your decision you're making. And he called him out. You're a broad, a broad, a brood of sinful men. Their decision was not some passive, oh, this looks better and, and we can, whatever. Again, it's the perfect will of God or the per- permissive will of God. He didn't even call it the permissive will of God. He said, this is a brood of sinful men to increase still more the fierce anger of the Lord against Israel. For if you turn away from following him, he will once again leave them in the wilderness and you will destroy all these people. You will destroy all these people. Your actions will have consequences of these people. What you decide to do has consequences on other people's lives. It never, your sin never affects just you. It affects people all around you. That's how sin works. But he, he doesn't sugarcoat it here. 
Moses reminded the leaders of the Reuben and Gad, Gad that they, 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 their failure entering in the promised land was just a reflection of what took place 38 years prior. It is a terrible, terrible thing to be used of the devil to discourage other believers to walking a deeper life with the Lord. We should ask God, please protect us from all the, every discouraging people who are around us, but help us protect us from discouraging others' hearts in serving God and following God. Lord, help protect us from not discouraging people because it can have a tremendous effect. And he says it right there because they have not wholly followed me. Because when you don't wholly follow God, you will discourage people in their walk with God. Unfaithful spies cause the generation to be wiped out. Based on just a report. Just based on the fact, lack of fear because they weren't walking with God. They had fear. They had unbelief. And it caused an entire generation to be wiped out because they all went with that. But when we have not wholly followed the Lord, we are much more likely to be influenced by the cardinal and the discouraging words around us. Maybe perhaps the generation figured that they had a free ticket to the promised land. <laughs> it's free. There's no commitment. Just, it's a free ticket. No matter what. We get whatever we want. It's already been paid by the generation before of unbelief. We get to just do whatever we want to do and walk however we want to walk and go wherever we want to go and live wherever we want to live. Whatever we desire, that's what we get to choose. But Moses says, no, your decision can actually cause a rippling effect not only for you but for those around you. So what happens? Verses 16 through 19, it says, Then they came near to him and said, We will build sheepfolds here for our livestock and cities for our little ones, but we ourselves will be armed, ready to go before the children of Israel until we have brought them to their place, and our little ones will dwell in the fortified cities because of the inhabitants of the land. We will not return to our homes until every one of the children of Israel have received their inheritance, for we will not inherit them on the other side of the Jordan and beyond, because our inheritance, look, look at that, it's amazing, because our inheritance has fallen to us on the east side of the Jordan, east side of the Jordan. Who gave them the inheritance? God is the one who gives the inheritance. And God determined where that is. No, no, they claimed, I'm self-claiming. This is our inheritance. This is what I want. They didn't ask God. They're just now asking permission to be able to have that land because it was conquered again by God's people. But notice here that, no, 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 no. We're going to stay here. We're going to build everything for our animals. We're going to fortify some new cities for our, our kids and our wives to protect them from the inhabitants who would live here, but protect them in gated communities. Then we'll go across. 
We'll be armed. We'll help you get all established and get everyone in their place and, and take over the enemy and push them out and stuff. But once that's established, then we'll come back over. But we've got to get our families all secured and our animals all set so nothing happens to them over here on this side of the promised land. Because remember, we're going to separate from the rest of Israel. Very dangerous. But it, it passed, you'll see that it will answer the biggest concern for Moses. They effectively kind of answered the issue of discouragement that Moses was experiencing right then and there. No, we'll fight. We'll make sure you get established. And then Moses said to them in verse 20, If you do these things, if you arm yourself before the Lord for the war and all the armed men across over the Jordan before the Lord until he has driven out his enemies from before him and the land is subdued before the Lord. Then afterward you may return and be blameless before the Lord and before Israel. And this land shall be your possession before the Lord. But if you do not do so, then take note. <laughs> take note, you're being, I'm, I'm giving you a warning. Take note, you have sinned against the Lord. That's what it's called. You're going to be sinning against the Lord. And be sure your sin will find you out. You will suffer consequences for the sin you commit. God's not going to bring the judgment. Your sin's going to find yourself out. It's going to, it's going to have a consequence of the decisions you make. So build the cities for your little ones. Fold, folds for your sheep. And do what has proceeded out of your mouth. So if they do what they say they're going to do, they'll be blameless before the Lord and before Israel. No one's going to, no one's going to you know, hold that against them. They, they just, this is the decision they're going to make and that they're going to have to face the consequences of that. And if they fail to actually follow through and go in armed and help get the enemies out, then it's really a bad thing because now you're sitting against the Lord and against Israel and everybody else. And, and it's going to have major consequences. Because if you do the sin of doing nothing, <laughs> Moses warned him, if you, have a, you commit the sin of doing nothing after you said something, uh, not going to be good for you. And sometimes doing nothing is a great sin. When God said to do something and you didn't do it, it's a great sin. And it will become very evident. And it will find us out. Now in verses 25 through 27, we see the leaders um, talking through here of the children of Gad. And Reuben spoke to Moses saying, your servants will do as the Lord commands. And he talks that through. In verses 28 through 42, we see, so Moses gave command concerning them. Eleazar the priests and Joshua, son of Nun, and the chief fathers of the tribes and the children of Israel. And Moses said to them, if the children of Gad and the children of Reuben cross over the Jordan with you, every man armed for battle before the Lord, and the land is subdued before you, then you shall give them the land of Gilead as a possession but if they do not cross armed with you they shall have possessions among you in the land of Canaan then the children of Gad and the children of Reuben answered and says as the Lord has said to your servants so we will do so 
what we're seeing here, verses 28 through 42, is just a reminder. He's now, Moses is telling the Eliezer, the priests, and Joshua, and the chief fathers of what took place in their negotiations. Why? Because Moses is not going into the promised land. He's going to die on the hill, on the mountain, before they go in. So he's making sure those leaders who are going into the promised land knows exactly what was, was agreed upon. And of course, those leaders of, uh, of uh, Gad and, uh, and Reuben said, yes, 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 absolutely. We're guaranteed. But notice here the influence Notice the influence of the decisions of Reuben and Gad. It says there, Then the children of Gad and the children of Reuben answered, saying, As the Lord has said to your servants, so, will we, so we will do. We will cross over armed before the Lord into the land of Canaan. But notice this. But the possession of our inheritance shall remain with us on the other side of Jordan. So Moses gave the children of Gad to the children of Reuben up. And to half the tribe of Manasseh. Notice that. It's spreading. And now we have the first split in the nation of Israel as they're going into the thing. Manasseh, the tribe of Manasseh, split in half. Half going and following what God said to do. The other half influenced by those who do not want to follow through with the will of God. And is content with just doing partial. Now half of Manasseh is, in, uh, is caught up in this. It's starting to have effect on other people. Now verses 34 through 42 is just a whole list of cities that they ended up uh, either built the cities or they conquered by the children of Israel to gain, to get the, again, the sheep holes and all their animals in place and fortified cities to make sure they're all secure before they go over there and fight. Uh, those who are 20 and older go over and fight in the promised land. Half a tribe of Manasseh. Half of them were content to stay on the wrong side of the promise, uh, the wrong side of the Jordan River. Not a good thing for them and being influenced by Gad and, and Reuben. See, it's sad that uh, they did not go into the promised land because we know by the scriptures, and we'll see in Deuteronomy and other places, we see that after they made that decision, after that's all set, and after they come back, uh, the Syrians started, the inhabitants around them that they were concerned about, the Syrians started taking them off and taking them off one by one and attacking them and, and destroying. And after the Syrians, the Assyrians, Assyrians came in and started coming after them and taking them out. They were not supported. They were not to be able to defend against the inhabitants on the, the east side of the Jordan. And all of a sudden, all that property and all the things that they loved and all the things that they wanted to do, they were influenced in a negative way by the culture attacking them. But if you remember this, they were given the land of Gilead. Does that sound familiar to you? Does it give you a flashback of the time when Jesus comes on the scene? Here's years later. 
These two and a half tribes staying on the wrong side of the Jordan. What happened to them besides being attacked by the enemies? Well, we see what happened because when Jesus comes on the scene and he gets in the boat and goes across the Sea of Galilee to the other side of the sea on the east side of the, uh, the Jordan where they two and a half planted, what does Jesus find in the land of uh, Gad, Gadaria region? Nothing but demon-possessed people, demonics, pigs, they're not supposed to be among God's people. We see the Greek culture has influenced them and in all throughout that region. We see what happens when you only go halfway and you stay in the, partially in the world and you do not fully commit to following God. You will end up doing just like the culture and that's exactly what those tribes did. That culture, that place that they should have been dwelling and controlling, now controlled them. Pig swine, pig smelling, demon-possessed man who was naked, remember? And he had Jesus cast out the demons. And they asked, please, let us go into the swines. And they got into the swines, went over into the Sea of Galilee. That's the land that these people chose to stay in. And look at what influence it had on the people of Gad, Reuben, and uh, Manasseh. Consequences. Now we take a look at chapter 33 and we see a review of Exodus. We see a whole thing about their journey. They've come to the part of the journey, they're at the end of the journey. Two and a half of the tribes didn't finish well. The other ones went into the promised land just like God asked them to do it. They didn't, were not so influenced. I think Moses was a, such a leader and just Rush those moments of saying, please don't be discouraged on these people who are not willing to follow God with all their heart and mind, soul, and strength. They're just half-hearted in this walk with Christ, in this case for us, but for them half-heartedly following God. Don't let that discourage you. Keep moving on because the promised land is ahead of us. And sure enough, we see in verse 33, there are the these are the journeys that the children of Israel who went out of the land of Egypt by their armies under the hand of Moses and Aaron. Now Moses wrote down the starting points of their journeys at the command of the Lord. And these are their journeys according to their starting points. Oh, I think this is so cool. Most people read chapter 33 and say this is so boring. Why is this whole purpose of even reading this? But let me see if I can give you a good summary of chapter 33 and see how wonderful this really is. Because why did God command Moses to write and record every place the children of Israel pitched their tents? <laughs> why? What was the purpose of that? I, I, when you look at it, you kind of see it and you go, you know, as a, from a journey perspective, you're journeying, you're journaling your, your trip. It's like a family scrapbook. It's like a video being taken of all the videos of all the key moments of your life. It's a, it's a recording of all the pictures. And, and you bring out the, the photo book and see, this is our photo book when we lived here. And this is a photo book of all the pictures when we were living here. And there's all the photo books when we were living here. And, and it's a journey. And all these pictures reflect of all the things that have been happy. Do you see our kids? We just we didn't have kids. And, and we, oh, I was single. Then we got married and have kids. And, and then now 
the kids, have kids. And it's a journey of life. And that's what I see this whole chapter 33 with, is that God is really taking a, these people, his people, his children, his family of 40 years and making a memorable scrapbook, a journal of what took place in these people's lives in their journey. These places are memorable stops to God. They may not be memorable stops to many. Many be, be like they, they're just boring to many, like insignificant. These are just cities. They're just a journey. There's no big thing. I, I forgot what I took, did you know, 20 years ago or 30 years ago. I don't remember. I think I lived there. Yeah, I lived there. And, oh, yeah, I think I, if I can remember. You ever gone to someone's house and they, you're getting to know them and they go, oh, let's, let me pull some photo albums, albums to you. And you get the photo albums and now everything's on, you know, digital. But you pull it out, and after about 5 or 6, 10, 15, 30, 100 pictures or more, you get, people get bored with it because it's like it's the same pictures. But you never get bored with it because you go, all of a sudden you remind yourself of the journey that God has brought you through at different points and places you lived, where you pitched your tent. Now, it's interesting. The, the record here might be brought back some memories to those who were on that journey. But what's the point for us today to learn all of these cities or know all these cities or why God wants us to see all of these cities and places that God's people were at during this 40 years of journey from leaving Egypt and going into the promised land? God made us a holy nation. God made the children of Israel his people. And he was the heavenly father. He was the leader over that nation. And just like the children of Israel is his people that he was leading, we too are a holy nation adopted into his family when he, he's taking us on our own journey, a journey toward the promised land of heaven. And every stop along the way, every place we pitch our tent, every time we're pulled up stakes and moved on, he remembers and records all of our journey as he has led us. And those are very important to God. Because each time he moves us, there's a very specific reason and purpose why we live where we live. And when he chooses to move us, why he has placed us there for a season of time until he takes us home. But it's not home. It's just, it's just placing our tent until we go home. But every step of the way means something to God. Even if it may not mean something to you, it means something to God. And whatever we have done, what he has led us to do, he records it. He remembers it and eventually rewards it. We see in Matthew 10, verses 42. He never forgets not a single day when we're going and doing and living what God's called you to do. God has led us 
you and I from stop to stop, from place to place. And as long as sense of, you know, it may have forgotten you, forgotten those things, and it's been a lot of years, and you kind of want to want to not remember those times. Remember the time when your coworker needed to hear you, and you were there, the listening ear, to keep them from making a very bad mistake. Remember the time when. There was a need in the nursery and you stepped in when it wasn't your time to do it and you went into the nursery and you served God to help serve God's people. Remember the time the neighbor was having a meltdown and you needed to be a good neighbor and come alongside and help them through that flood? Remember the time you took that call and you listened to that person and you helped them through the death of their family member? God has recorded every single one of those moments. And he has not and will not forget those moments of time. And you will be rewarded for those things that God has called you to do, even when it wasn't comfortable and easy in a place you didn't want to be at that moment. But it was God's moment. And he records it all. It's important to God. Even if we forget, it's still important to God. What parents do, of you know, what we do with those big things of in the of 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 photo albums and and things we put in our chest full of not only pictures but stuff and items for our children when they were young and and all the things that we we collect from our own high school and college years and we collect it and we go oh I forgot all about that look at that I I, I yeah it brings back a memory each of those moments of in our journey God has not forgotten and he used it in your life. Each one of these names that God had Moses write down of each place they placed their tents was a place where God said to his people, I want you to pitch your tent here in the journey. And they did. And their obedience was treasured by God. Now it's interesting in verses 3 through 4, we see that though they were slaves, they did not have to shrink out of Egypt and slither out in the darkness. God gave them the boldness to leave as conquerors and not as escaping slaves. He says they departed Ramses in the first month of the 15th day of the first month of the day. After the Passover, the children of Israel went out with boldness in the sight of all the Egyptians. For the Egyptians were burying all their firstborn when the Lord had killed them among them. And all on their gods the Lord had executed judgments. Remember, all the plagues was a plague against all of their deities they worshipped. They were not just random. They were specifically chosen by God to deal with each of those false gods, the Egyptians, those deities, those bizarre demonic things that they used to believe in. 
So in verses 3 through 4, we see children of Israel leaving Egypt. We see in verses 5 through 8 that they go to and through the Red Sea. In verses 9 through 15, they go from Marah to Mount Sinai where they receive the law and instructions for building the tabernacle and the sacrificial system that they were to follow. Now, 5 through 15, that whole portion of the journey took more than one year. It took about a year to fulfill. But most of that time was not spending traveling, but receiving the law at Mount Sinai. But at verse 16 through 36, they go from Mount Sinai to Kadesh Barnea, right there at the cusp of wanting to go into the promised land. But they didn't. In verses 37 through 49, they go from Kadesh Barnea to the Jordan River into the promised land. And it's in this account, there is something very huge missing when you go back and you read those cities and you read the accounts. There's nothing highlighted. There's nothing that is, it's almost like this huge missing omission right there. The 38 years the children of Israel wandered in the wilderness was in unbelief is not clearly noted in the scriptures of those 38 years. I find that interesting, don't you? Everywhere God was guiding and doing, we see the city. But there's a gap of 38 years. It's like, where did they go of all the tent stops in those 38 years. The Father, the Heavenly Father, records exactly and carefully every single spot where they pitched their tent in obedience to his leading. He makes note. But when they were in sin, there's no mention, no record, no memory. As far as God, our Heavenly Father, is concerned, He remembers no more. He remembers when we've been, where we've been, but He does not track, He forgets about our sin. Why is it important to us? Because He does the editing of that video of your life, your journey. He deletes that slide that will happen in your life. He erases from your journal the inscription of what took place that was against him and not for him. And that's the kind of our loving Father who, serve, that who, who God we serve. Why doesn't he remember our sin in the journey? Because... He sent his son to die on the cross in our place and shed his blood in order that we could be cleansed from that sin. What a price our Heavenly Father paid to eradicate that part of the memory to clean up my story and to make it squeaky clean as white as snow. We see in verses 5 through 15 
that this portion of the journey took them, again, more than a year. But they had to receive from God, and they received God, and they understood it and learned and grew. And then, because of their unbelief, even after God had done all they're doing, hindered them from continuing to move into the promised land. And as they finally end their journey of 38 years, they come back to where they once again ready to go into the promised land. And we moved, you know, getting out of that wilderness of Sinai, that part of their journey that took them 38 years, not because of the distance, but because of the time it took to take out an entire generation of unbelief. We see that the listing of Israel's encampments comes rapidly. It's more than 30 places named are given in quick succession during in the scripture here. Not a lot of activity is noted. No progress of the people are noted. It's just an empty 38 years. But as they come closer to the promised land, we start seeing again movement of God. In verses 50 through 53, we see that the now the Lord spoke to Moses in the plain of Moab at the, by the Jordan across from Jericho, saying, speak to the children of Israel and say to them, when you have crossed the Jordan to the land, notice that, not if you will cross, when you have crossed the Jordan into the land of Canaan, then you shall drive out all the inhabitants of the land before you, destroy all their engraved stones, destroy all their molded images, and demolish all their high places. You shall dispose the inhabitants of the land and dwell in it, for I have given you the land to possess. You're going in. God says you're going in. He promised to bring them in there. It reminds us of Philippians 1.6. He who began a good work in us will continue to perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Imagine. You're going into the promised land and you made it very clear. Drive out all the inhabitants. Destroy their engraved stones and molded images and all those high places where they fall, worship faults. Get it all out of that new land I'm bringing you into. 400 years these people have been wrapped up in these false gods and demonic and idolatry uh, culture. Get it out. That is not to be in your life any longer. No compromise. And then 50, verses 54 through 56, we see you have, you shall dry, divide the land by lot as an inheritance among your families. To the larger you shall give the larger inheritance, smaller to you give the smaller. And again, he's, what we've already talked and discussed in previous um, chapters, it was all based on that, um, that um, uh, counting of all the, uh, those who were 20 and older in accounting, because that was going to be how they were dividing up the land, then by lots of which part of the land uh, within the promised land that they would get. And he made it very clear. This is my land that I have given to you as an inheritance, as a promise from Abraham. This wasn't a, I wonder if he is. I wonder if he will. 
how is he going to provide for us? How are we going to do this? Are we strong enough? Are we smart enough? Are we have money enough? We have all these things that we can hinder us from just holding on to the promises of God. But it wasn't going to be easy. They were going to have to bring judgment on the corrupt culture of the Canaanites, but also give the land of Israel to possess and to take and work the land and take care of the land and do what God's called them to do. It'll be interesting as we continue in the story if they did what God called them to do. They didn't. They compromised. And there were tremendous consequences in their journey with God. See, the only peace there can be is the peace of God through the one who travels every step with us on that journey of ours to heaven. Romans 5.1 The only way we can have peace and have the assurity of where he's asking us to pitch our tent and it's temporary. We don't know how long we're going to be where we're at when God decides to move us on to the next tent or ultimately to our home in heaven. But we're to be obedient and faithful where we are at until that time. What a journey we are on with God. Amen?